As I shared with you last week, um, Karen and I are kind of messed up with the young adults. Um, we have a really good group, and we really, really love them. And we already know it's going to be hard to let some of them go, all of them go that are leaving. We have several leaving uh, next month, and um, it will be uh, difficult. It will be very difficult. So, um, as I shared with you the last two weeks, God's kind of pulled me out of the Gospel of John. Um, I think principally to speak to some of these young adults who are leaving. Um, we've been looking at Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. We've been looking at John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. And um, as I said to you last week, if you've read those two books, it'll sober you up real quick. If you've gotten fast and loose with your Christianity, um, <laughs> yeah, these books will challenge you. Uh, to the nth degree. And so we just love these kids. You know, they, well, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm 63 almost, so you're a kid to me, okay? You could be, some of you could be my grandchildren, so don't be insulted. Um, but, you know, we just love you. I mean, they just keep coming back. They just keep coming back. It's, it's, uh, I mean, we're looking at the red words. It's hard. Some of it is just Hard. Some of it is strong. Two weeks ago, this is how we started class. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you know, the $3 worth of God people we talked about last week, you know, they just want to... Uh, religious fix on Sunday. You know, I don't want to change my life. I just want a little bit of God so I have a get-out-of-hell-free card in my back pocket. You know, those kinds of people don't come back when you start the class like that, right? They don't come back. When Jesus lays what discipleship uh, looks like on the line, when He just says what it is, it's supreme love for me. Obviously, we don't hate our in a, in a literal sense, but this is a Hebraism. What he's saying is, you love me more than anything else. And if you've met him, you get it. If you've met him, you understand it. Because that's how you love him. You can't help but love him like that. Right? If you understand. It's like, I love what Francis Chan says a lot. Uh, I've been listening to him some on YouTube. I love what he says. You know, he says, you've got to get over yourself. I bet there's more than one person in here that needs to get over themselves, right? Maybe there's one in the pulpit. Needs to get over himself. I love that line. So, we're going to lose some of these young adults um, in the coming weeks. And it just seemed good to me. And I apologize to Christy and Mark and some of you guys. Um, I, I haven't preached this in three years, and... and uh, but some of you have heard it before, and, and uh, um, I apologize to you. But I want, I want these young adults to leave, and I want to give them my best counsel as they leave with respect to how do you live Luke 14? How do you live like that? How do you love Jesus like that? You know, and I'll tell you what I've learned. 
I don't have all the answers, but I've learned a few things. You already know if you've been around a while, Hebrews 11.6, God used it to change, to change my life. Uh, we all have verses like this if we know Christ. We all have verses that He has used in pivotal moments to, to change our course, to change direction, to change who we are. I knew what God had said to me, but I was just too scared to do it. Right? So, He didn't stutter. He was not unclear. I knew exactly what He said. I was just afraid, and it was so, it was, um, you know, Matthew 14, 29. <laughs> Peter said, Lord, if that's you out there on the water, what? Bid me what? Come. And this is one thing I've said to the young adults. I say it to you. This is, should be your perpetual prayer. Lord Jesus, bid me come. This should always be, at least in some way, repetitive in your prayer life. Lord Jesus, bid me come, bid me come, bid me come. Trust me, you're not going to get out of the boat. That's not going to be your idea. You're not going to leave your comfort zone or the little box you've constructed for yourself of security and uh, um, yeah, manageability unless God calls you out. And I just think it's a good thing to pray, Lord Jesus, bid me come. If that's you on the water... Bid me come. I'm not going to get out of the boat unless you call me out. But if you call me out, I will get out. Now what I want to say to you, <laughs> He's calling you out. <laughs> okay? If you're a Christian, He's calling you out. He's calling you out upon the water. So there's 10,000 reasons to stay in the boat. I know every one of them. I argued it with God myself. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I thought I heard God wrong. I thought it was like, no, not that. Surely not that. And we talked about screw tape last, last week, right? Screw tape letters? And screw tape is saying, what does screw tape say? What does he and Wormwood say to the human being that's considering radical obedience with God? What's the word? Moderate. Right? Moderate. And screw tape is saying, moderate, Jim, moderate, man. Just be a good churchgoer. You know, just go to church and the world will know you're a Christian because you go to church. Just moderate, man. Satan's always saying this. <laughs> Some of your friends are saying it. Some of your family members are saying it. Sometimes your spouse says it. But we know how Jesus feels about moderation, right? He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus has no time for this. He has no time for those who would moderate the call. So Hebrews 11.6, it changed my life. It was a lot different. What God taught me about Hebrews 11.6 was a lot different than what I learned in Sunday school. Because I kind of grew up in a denomination where and you test and see if yours was this way, if you grew up in a denomination. My denomination was kind of like, well, just believe the right stuff. Do the right thing, and you're in. That's how I grew up. Pray the right prayer, do the right ordinance, believe the right stuff, and you're in. This is how I was taught. Um, it wasn't like that. <laughs> When God came to me and taught me faith out of Hebrews 11.6, and you guys can go ahead and turn there if you want, Hebrews 11.6. Um, 
that's, that's not God's definition of faith at all. It, it's not even in that chapter anywhere. That if you just believe right things and do right things and, and do the proper ordinance you're in, that's not, God doesn't say that anywhere in Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11 is God's definition of faith and it's His illustration of faith. And you and I need to understand it. Because if you do understand it, young people, and, and all you old people too, you too, Mark, um, you'll be free. You'll be free to go with God. If you don't understand Hebrews 11.6, you cannot go with God. You will not go with God. You simply will not go with God. You might be a good church member, but you will not follow Christ. You will not exalt Christ in your home or at your work or whatever it is you do. You just simply will not do it. But God has called you and me and every true believer into... Oh, I was listening to Piper this week. How did he say it? And I can't remember. But suffice to say, radical obedience. Radical obedience is just normal biblical obedience. Okay? <laughs> it looks radical to everybody else because they don't know God. A couple weeks ago, I told you uh, bad theology hurts people. It's one of my favorite things to say. Bad theology hurts people. Uh, there's an ancillary truth that I have learned as an old man. Uh, incomplete theology paralyzes people. And this is where I was with Hebrews 11.6 before God came and taught me. Incomplete theology paralyzes people. So here's what I want you to hear me say from Hebrews 11.6. One of the hard truths that God revealed to me. Inadequate thinking about God leads to inadequate believing, which leads to inadequate living. Okay? If you don't get God right, you, you have no hopes. Yes, you can be a religious person. You can be a church member. But you cannot be a disciple. You will not be a disciple. You will not do what God says to do when it gets hard and costly and risky. You won't do it. You'll bail every time. So I'm going to say it again. Inadequate thinking about God. So are you going deep with God in the Bible? Are you learning about God? Are you in awe of God? Are you, are you in fear and trembling of God? Inadequate thinking about God leads to inadequate believing, which leads to inadequate living. Some of you are guilty of inadequate living. You call yourself a Christian but you're not living like a son or a daughter of God. You're not doing it. You know you're not doing it, and everybody around you knows you're not doing it. Okay? You're not fooling anybody. As I said last week, particularly, God. So I knew the Lord was calling me to a new place. <laughs> I knew He was calling me out of moderation. And if... Moderation is the description of your Christianity. He's calling you out tonight. It's why you're here. You say, Jim, I'm just here by mistake. No. It's a sovereign providence. It's a sovereign appointment of God. You are here to be called out. If you're a moderated Christian, you are here to be called out tonight. And I'm here preaching to myself to never look back and to press on as the Apostle Paul has said in Philippians. So God takes me to Hebrews 11.6. And here it is. You must learn God correctly. 
You must learn God correctly. If you learn God correctly, you will obey Him with glad, reckless joy. If you don't learn God correctly, you won't go. You will not believe. You will not obey. My thinking about God was inadequate. It's still inadequate. (laughs) I've been studying the Bible a long time now. I went to seminary. I have a seminary degree. I don't know anything about Him. I know the essentials about Him, what He's revealed, but I know I don't know. I don't know. When it comes down to it, I don't know anything compared to what there is yet to discover in the glory and the greatness of God. This is one thing I love about Christianity. It's it's the sacred romance, right? (laughs) There's always more. There is always more. So we love the God of Psalm 97, before whom the earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. The God of Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble and the earth shake. The, Psalm of, uh, the God of Psalm 145, the God of unsearchable greatness. The Psalm of 115, the God who does all His good pleasure. That's our God, and that's the God we can obey. That's, that's why we can get out of our comfort zone. That's why we can get out of the boat. It's why we can do the impossible. It's why we can walk on water. Because He is who He is. Hebrews 11 is not about, you know, you always hear what's well, about the men and women. No, it's not about the men and women. It's about God. Hebrews 11 is about God's faithfulness to this motley crew, just like you and me. A motley crew that God redeemed and used powerfully for His purposes in the world. You guys know Hebrews 11.6. You've got to know this verse. You've got to memorize this verse. You've got to live this verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who seek God. I ask people a lot, what is it that pleases God? I almost never get the word faith back as an answer. I almost never get that. There are a number of legitimate answers to that question, obviously. Okay? But here God says, This is what pleases me. Church going's good. You know, that's great. In fact, if you have faith, you will be a church going. You know, and all these moral things, that's great. Loving your neighbor's great. You know, it's all great. But I love faith. I delight in faith. And so the question is, do you have the faith that God's talking about in Hebrews 11? I'm not talking about, you know, what passes for Christianity in the, in the modern era. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Hebrews 11. Do you have that kind of faith? God says, it is faith that pleases me without faith it is impossible to please me is there a more important thing to know i'm asking you as a creature is there is there a more important thing to know than that faith pleases your creator can you think of anything else more important you need to know today than the fact that you need to have faith in 
your Creator. I love Hebrews 11.1. 1. God simply defines faith. Um, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, and unlike the error that the word of faith people make, we don't have faith in our faith. We don't have faith in our ability to speak some word into and, and reality into existence because I have faith. I hate this. It's faith. It's, it, it's the object of our faith. It's God. It's the God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. It's that God. God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. You say, well, Jim, God's calling me to do something really hard and risky. Why should I do it? Because God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. And you can trust God. And you can be a radical Christian. Then you can Step into His presence. The day you die will be the best one you've ever had to that point. And you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master. If you're a Christian, that's what you always have to point at. You can't point at anything less than that. Don't call yourself a Christian and be pointing at preeminently, you know, great career, pile of money, great kids, blah, 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 blah. You may get these things or some of these things. God is a gracious God, but those, these cannot be your preeminent goals and objectives. So Hebrews 11 defines faith. God says it's impossible to please me without it. And then for the rest of the chapter, He illustrates it. There are 16 named illustrations on how faith lives and what faith looks like. First, there in Hebrews 11.6, we're just simply to believe that what? God, what? You tell me. God is. You're supposed to believe God is. Now this is not hard for anyone who thinks rationally or logically. There has to be an adequate first cause for everything you see. <laughs> There's only one adequate first cause. Okay? And I could talk about that for like a long time. But I'll shut up. God is. You must believe that God is. Not just any God, but the God who is. You have to believe that He is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The biblical God, the Redeemer God, Jesus Christ. And I say this to you all the time. Let me just remind you. Don't go out in the world and talk about God in a generic sense. Most of the world has enough sense to realize that there is an adequate first cause. So, most people are theists, okay? But don't go out in the world and talk about God in a generic sense because every, oh, 85% of most people believe there's some kind of God out there. You need to use the name Jesus Christ because that separates the men from the boys and the sheep from the goats. Don't, dare, don't you dare talk in the world about some generic God, please. I, I'm counseling you. Don't do that. You're here to talk about your God, the God of Jesus Christ. The God of Jesus Christ. And we share with those around us about this beautiful God. So the biblical God is Jesus and He is. He is the God who just is. 
So God is pleased with faith that believes He is. That's, this is the easy part, right? <laughs> Believe that Jesus Christ is. He acknowledges, he, he, loves, he loves it when His creatures acknowledge His I amness. And you know what He loves more? When they live His I amness. Excuse me, goosebumps, you can't see them. Right? He loves it when His creatures acknowledge His I amness. This is the. Yeah, the minimal obligation of a creature to acknowledge the I amness of, of God. But what he's calling you to in Hebrews 11 is to live his I amness. To live like he's God. Are you? Or have you conformed to the wisdom and ways of the world? I say it to you all the time. People in the world are supposed to smell Christ on you. They're supposed to understand that you belong to Him. Your children and your spouse, they're supposed to understand this. Your friends and neighbors are supposed to understand this. Your life's supposed to look, and I'm talking to the young adults right now because some of you older folks, you haven't read the book. Your life's supposed to look like crazy love. This is not an academic pursuit. It's not, Karen and I didn't decide, well, let's, let's look at crazy love. That'll be a nice academic pursuit. We don't do anything for academic pursuit. We do everything to turn you into a radical disciple. That's why we do what we do. As God continues to turn us into one. You know, it's a lifelong proposition. <laughs> so, um, yeah. We want you to incarnate, create, incarnate crazy love and don't waste your life. We want you to understand Luke 14. We want you to understand Luke 14. I understand what Jesus is saying when He says, by comparison, I hate my father and my mother and my wife and my kids. By comparison, I get it. I get it when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy, but I get it. I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. He picked up his cross for me, and now he's just simply saying, you pick up your cross and follow me. And he, he, later in that text, he says, you know, unless you forsake all things, you cannot be my disciple. The true believer understands. I'm not saying it's all easy. I'm saying we get it. We're not confused about what God is calling us to. So, we believe that God is. We believe that He's desirable and compelling and beautiful and wonderful. And it's why we, you know, we've signed up. We, we've caught a glimpse of the living God and everything else is to or below. He's a desirable God. The psalmists say, we thirst for Him, we desire Him, we long for Him, we pant for Him. Amen? If you don't get it, if you don't get the panting thing, you've not yet met Him. Because if you've met Him, you will desire Him. You will thirst for Him. 
It's what comes with believing in the God who is and knowing the God who is. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. And so when God came to me about calling me to a new place in my Christian walk, I knew this. I was proud. I said, Lord, I believe You are. I believe You is. Right? I believe it. So I checked that box. Good job, Jim. I believe God is. Good job, Jim. I didn't believe the second part. What does he say? What's next? We must not only believe that he is, we must believe that he's a rewarder. Okay, the first part was real to me. The second part was academic. Okay? It's academic. Yeah, he's he's good. He's a rewarder. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever risked anything on that gym? Have you ever engaged in costly obedience? Counting on the rewarding goodness of God? Or is that just, you know, a good church thing, good dogma, good doctrine? This is what I want to give to you, young people, as you leave. And even all you old people. It's you too, Mark. You must not only believe that He is, you must believe. And when you come to the point where you know He's good, you're free. You're free to do Luke 14. Until you know He's good, you will not do Luke 14. You will not do Matthew... I forget now. (laughs) Where He gets out of the boat. Matthew 20-something. Where Peter gets out of the boat. You'll never do this stuff if you just believe God is. But if you believe God's good you'll never look over your shoulder again. You'll just, if it's hard, you'll pray through it and you'll go. Why? Because my God is and my God's a rewarder. I believe He's a rewarder. How can I live in such a way that it looks like I hate my family? It, it, it looks like I'll forsake everything. You know, it looks like I'll crucify myself. How can I ever live like that? Because my God gives Himself to me. He's my reward. Here's the thing. He's not only a rewarder, He is our reward. (laughs) Okay? This is big stuff, man. This will rock your world. It'll change your life. It changed my life. I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting in my little 310 hatchback down by the lake, and God was calling me to do some hard stuff. I said, God, you know, I believe you are. He takes me to Hebrews 11.6, and I said, I believe all the right things about you. I believe the stuff. You know, I can tell you about it. I believe all the right things. He said, you don't believe I'm good or you would obey me. It's exactly what he said in my spirit. You don't believe I'm good or you would obey me with glad, reckless joy. That's exactly what he said to me. And I wept because I knew he was right. I knew he was right. He hammered me on that one. It took me weeks. It took me weeks to confess it to him. God, forgive me. I have not believed that you are a rewarder. If you don't believe God's a rewarder, you're going to live just like the world. It's just the truth, beloved. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they believed He was a rewarder and you can see it in their life. Right? (laughs) You just see it in their life. Hey, my God's a rewarder. Oh, I'm getting sawn in too. Okay. My God's a rewarder. 
I'm being persecuted endlessly? Oh, my God's a rewarder. You know, that great text in Hebrews 11 where some are delivered by the sword and some are perish under the sword. But they both believe. And they, they trust their lives and their deaths to God. It doesn't matter if I'm delivered or if I'm stoned. What matters is my God's a rewarder and I'm going to obey Him. That's what matters to real Christians, right? That's what matters to true believers. My God's a rewarder. And you guys know the great text, Luke 6, 46. Here it is. You know, people, people believe, I, I want to have Jesus as my Savior, but let's forget about the Lordship thing. I, I don't really want to obey Him about this stuff. I'll... I'll be, um, you know, I'll believe, I'll believe that He is, but I don't want to do the hard obedience. I want Him as my Savior, but I don't really want to walk with Him down that road. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? You know how it finishes. Why do you call me Lord and what? Not do what I say. Just stop calling me Lord. Because I'm not. I'm not your Lord if you don't do what I say. So, great text for all of us to consider. So, why do people who call themselves Christians not obey God? It's really simple, isn't it? I guess the one word answer is sin. It's because we think there's greater gain in disobedience. It's always this way. I come out ahead. If I disobey, I come out ahead. It'll be better for me if I disobey. This is how stupid people think. <laughs> I know. I think this way sometimes. <laughs> but then I preach to myself. Beloved, you've got to come to the place where you realize He is a rewarder. He is your reward. And you've got to sprint. Like we talked about last week, you've got to sprint to the finish line. It's a sprint, man. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to cross that finish line and I'm going to be spent. There's not going to be anything left in Jim Albright when I cross the finish line. I'm going to sprint. As Paul was alluding to Last week, so I want to, I want I want to stop and ask you: Do you see Do you see the power of the second part of Hebrews eleven six? Do you see the power of it? Do you see the the distinction of believing that He is and believing that He's good? Do you see the power of it? And then then I'll just simply ask: Will you Will you incarnate it? Are you willing to really believe that He's good? To believe that your earthly pursuits will give you more gain, pleasure, and happiness than the pursuit of God is a miscalculation of cosmic proportions. If you think and live that way, you fail the biblical test of faith. There's a book in the bookshelf called Wasted Faith. It's a faith that doesn't save. It's kind of just like nominalism. It's like, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an academic Christian. God, He's not into that. He's not interested in that. You know, that text I read from you from Matthew 14, I was telling the young adults, he had a multitude following him. 
there in Luke 14, 25, I think, and he turned and he said, you got to hate your father and your mother and your son and your daughter to come with me. you got to pick up your cross and follow me. you got to forsake everything you think is valuable to come and be with me and be my disciple. It's a clear passage about discipleship. He mentioned the, the words disciple three times. And I want you to understand, I think you know this, you guys are pretty, pretty biblically literate, Disciple is not some super Christian. It is a Christian. A disciple is a Christian. Okay? We're not talking about, you know, different levels here. Disciples are Christians. The word is used synonymously in the Bible. Biblical faith not only believes that God is, it believes that God is better than anything the world has to offer. And as I say to you all the time, of course, I stole it from John Piper, Jesus Christ is better than anything life can give, and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. Period. And, in, and until you kind of get to that place with, with Jesus Christ, you, you won't be able to live Luke 14 or Hebrews Hebrews 11. You know, Charles Spurgeon says the true Christian is spoiled for this world. He's simply saying we're hopelessly in love with this lavish rewarder who has redeemed us. So, do you see how fundamental this aspect of believing He's a rewarder is to you and your life? God is a rewarder God is our reward. So here's the deal. We believe He exists and we believe what He says to us about His character. Yes, He exists. There has to be an adequate first cause. So there is a God. There's an infinite mind out there. We just have to figure out who it is. <laughs> and as C.S. Lewis says, you cannot, not rash, you cannot uh, rationally or logically make your way to Jesus Christ. He was either God or a lunatic and He wasn't a lunatic. So he is, and then there's the question of his character, which may be more important to him. Oh, I believe God is. That's great. <laughs> You're an Einstein. What do you believe about his character? Do you believe he's a faithful God? Do you believe he'll be with you when, in the risk and in the cost? Do you believe He will be with you? Do you believe He'll reward you in some way you can't even begin to understand right now? Because it all looks just, it, it just looks hard and it looks costly and it looks like I'm going to lose everything and my family's turned against me and I've lost everything. I'm destitute. How can that be gain? Can I say to you, the, the, the biblical revelation says it is? <laughs> it is gain. And can I say to you that Whatever you give up for God, He can multiply back to you in, in so many ways you can't even begin to count. And listen, this is just not about, oh, I, I'm an ascetic and I, I randomly give up stuff for God. This is just simply about obeying God no matter what it costs. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you know, declaring, taking a vow of poverty and living you know, behind a cactus or something. I'm not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having open hands with the Lord. So, do you believe God's a rewarder? If you don't know, then you've got business this week. You've got homework this week. If you don't know that God's a rewarder, and you don't know that when the pressure comes, I'll obey Him because I know 
even if it's going to cost, looks like it's going to cost, I'm going to obey. If you don't know, you've got a lot of work to do. I'm just telling you. I say this as a man who loves you and wants you to move on with the Lord. So, Hebrews 11, 6, God is saying, and I love this, the lives of my people not only display my being, but my beauty. The lives of my people not only display my existence, but my excellence. Don't you love that? The lives of my people display that I am, and it displays that I'm good. You can see it in their lives. You can see it in their checkbooks, right? You can see it in their speech. You can see it in their internet history. You can see it. It's tangible. My people love me in a tangible way. Hebrews 11. So he changed my life with Hebrews 11.6. He taught me to get over myself <laughs> and to stop being academic with biblical truth. This is what the Lord taught me. So once you are fully persuaded that He is indeed a rewarder, you can do Matthew, there it is, Matthew 14, 29, when Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, come on. <laughs> that's what He's going to say to you, right? If you open your hands with God, He's going to say, come. He's never not going to say, come. Of course, there's going to be uncertainty getting out of the boat, but God is God and He's a rewarder. Of course, it's going to be uncomfortable getting out of the boat, but God is God and He's a rewarder. Of course, there will be unknowable and unforeseeable complications in getting out of the boat, but Jesus Christ is God and He is a rewarder. Of course, it will be risky to get out of the boat. The winds and waves are real and ever-present. But yeah, real faith gets it. Our God is God and He is a rewarder. So, you young people, as you leave, you got to own Hebrews 11.6. Or all that we've talked about is just academic. you got to believe Hebrews 11.6. You've got to believe it. And He calls us to not only believe it, but to live it. And as I like to say, we not only discover how awesome He is, we discover who we're supposed to be. So you can go with God because God's promise to Abraham is God's promise to you. Genesis 15.1 Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your exceeding great reward. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the text. We thank You for the truth. We thank You for the challenge. Lord God, I pray there wouldn't be one man or woman here that wastes one more day being academic with you. So Holy Spirit, teach, convict. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to settle. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to moderate. 
We want to learn how to walk like a child of God. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us, we pray. In the matchless and mighty and wonderful and awesome name of the God who is and the God who rewards Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.